Okay, but let me start off with the following uh, supposed incident story that happened. When Volozhner uh, Yeshiva was was headed by the Nitziv of Volozhner, concurrently at that time there was also one of the great luminaries of, of uh, Volozhner was the Beis Halevi, the uh, I guess you could say the originator of the Brisker dynasty, Beis Halevi. His son was Rebchai Brisker. His son was Briskerov. And the Brisker dynasty was, uh, in a sense, of course, Rebchai Brisker is the most prominent. But of course, the Beis Halevi, his father, which we've learned his uh, tire very often, Beis Halevi was, was a giant. And he was in Valozhny Yeshiva at the same time as the Nitziv, who was the was the head of the Lozhny Shiva at the time. So they say over the following, and it kind of illustrates two different approaches or two currents in Yiddishkeit and how and attitudes. It was the seed that went to um, the first night of Pesach who was invited to the Seder of the Beis Halevi. So he goes to the Beis Halevi the, um, you can imagine that it's like a brisker seder. They have huge kazaisen that you have to, you know, eat within a period of time that's, whatever. Of course, the matzahs themselves are made with such great care and devotion. Maybe were already burnt to a crisp already to make sure there was no chomets in it. I don't know how they did the haseb with the reclining the way they gobble down the, the matzahs, the wine, make sure that all of the hidurim of the wines and the amounts, and the way they drank it and ate it, and the mitzvah, all the intricate mitzvahs and intricate details of the mitzvahs. And when they finally finished, Beisalevi says, who knows if, if we did even one mitzvah properly tonight, the mitzvahs of Leil Pesach, there are so many mitzvahs and the details are so are so intricate and elaborate and who knows if we've properly fulfilled even one mitzvah next night he goes to the Nitziv and he's there and there's zmeras and it's a relaxed atmosphere and they're singing and he hands out the matzah and they eat it, smaller pieces and the matzah is okay and they eat the matzah, they don't see Petis Mitzrayim, and there's great joy, and there's, there's a feeling of enthusiasm. And, and when the night's over, the, the Nitziv comments, and he says, take a look at how rich this night is and how many mitzvahs we were able to fulfill. How wonderful it is that we are able to fulfill so many mitzvahs in one night that Hashem gave us. Ah, what a joy. If you contrast these two attitudes, if you will. Of course, I know most people relate more easily to the second approach. Really, the emphasis of what we did last week was, was the first approach. About that the way a person comes close to Hashem is by compliance with the mitzvahs fully, properly, without your own interpretive um, 
deviations. And really, in a sense, if one wants to understand the, the different approaches that, let's say, on the one hand are exemplified by Brisk, or for that matter, the, let's say, the Litvish approach versus the Hasidic approach. The Litvish approach is very much diktu kamitzes, exemplified more by the Briskers, to do mitzvahs as carefully and as perfectly as you possibly can. Be careful with the mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are themselves um, processes by, w- by which way a person comes close to Hashem, but by doing it perfectly as commanded by God, and to do it with, without the slightest deviation and the complete fulfillment, with all of the hidurim, with all the possible ways of enhancing the mitzvah as perfectly and as completely and as punctiliously as possible. That would be the Litvisha approach. The Hasidic approach tends to be one more of spirit. And yeah, it's good, it's fine. They, they're less involved with the punctiliousness and the minutia of the mitzvah's actual performance, but with the so-called spirit of the law. Not so much the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Mitzvahs don't become such burdensome such burdensome um, things that weigh down on the person, but rather they become vehicles of, of joyous coming close to Hashem, of the vacas to Hashem. The truth is, both approaches, although they diverge a great deal, and people develop attitudes on account of these things, but both are, are very necessary. And they both have to complement each other. And that's the balance that I was trying to refer to in order to balance what we learned last week from, went through a piece from Ravon Leib Steinman about the Asiyas HaMishkan, how the, mitzvah, how the Mishkan was done. We're going to see a little bit more of that, but I'm going to try to kind of balance the approach to just demonstrate that there's, it's not just that we're focused on the minutia and on the complete compliance to the mitzvah as being the only aspect of the mitzvah that we're focused upon. It's crucial, it's important, but there is an element of the spirit of the law that goes along with the letter of the law. And this is where people tend to do things differently one from another when it comes to the letter of the law. We all try to comply identically. When we're doing it spirit of the law, that's where you find the uh, multitude of of attitudes, and that's really where you tend to differentiate one person from another. So although last week we said that you can't deviate, and you have to sometimes subjugate and uh, sublimate your own spiritual yearnings to the religious laws as presented in the Torah, it doesn't totally negate and snuff out any type of personal initiative or personal feelings of, of spirituality. It's not there to uh, snuff it out, it's merely there to contain and to direct it in a proper way. It's a very difficult balance. I mean, we've mentioned it time and time again, not of Naviu, the children of Aaron that died because of their zeal and yearning of, to do, to come close to Hashem 
their own way and they kind of trespassed and went beyond the parameters that the Torah gave by injecting their own ace, Zara, their own fire, their own zeal, a strange fire, not one commanded by Hashem. So let's take a look. Again, we'll start off. We're going to take a look at the Medrash. What I have over here is we'll revisit the Medrash that we learned last week, the Medrash Talchuma, and then add to it. First, if you take a look on page 205, the Pasuk uses on top of the page, second line, Pasuk Yudches, Pasuk right before Hamishi, the Hiktarta is called Ha'ayel Hamizbecha, Olahul Hashem, it's a burnt offering to God, Reach Nichoyach, for a pleasant aroma, Ishal Hashem, it's a fire offering unto God. Of course, this expression, Reach Nichoyach, a sweet smelling or pleasant aroma to Hashem, is something which we find often and recurs over and over again throughout this whole section of the Torah that deals with animal sacrifices, which takes up a very a very prominent and important part of the Torah. A great deal of the Torah deals with the with the animal sacrifice, something which is very, very difficult to relate to nowadays. A whole section of Shas is devoted to Kotchim. So one-sixth of Shas, it's a little misleading, it's more than one-sixth, because when you learn Gemara, there are only four of the six sections that really have Gemara's on them. Uh, Brochus is the only Mesech in Zeroim that has a Gemara with it. Nida is the only section in Taurus that has Gemara with it. And therefore, most of Shas is Moed, Noshim, Nezikin, and Kotshim. So it takes up a good 25% of, uh, of Shas. Mirtishem, Dafyomi will reach it, will learn about Kotshim. It's, it's a little bit um, foreign, almost alien to our. Uh, concepts, but it's an important part of the Torah. So the phrase reach nichoach as being the ultimate purpose of animal sacrifices is one which recurs very often in the Torah. But if you look at the first column in Rashi, the Rashi of his Pasuk, top line in Rashi, reach nichoach, what is the essence of the reach nichoach? Nachas ruach lefonai. It's nachas ruach, it's gratification. It makes God Kaviochl feel good. God doesn't have feelings, that's why we say Kaviochl. But Nachas Ruach Lefonai. It's a Nachas. We use the word Nachas now, they have Nachas. It's a Nachas Ruach to Hashem. And the Sifse Chachom that most of you have on the page points out what do you mean, Nachas Ruach? Because the truth is, as we'll find in Vayikra, especially when it talks about bird sacrifices, where the Pasik says you should take the bird with its feathers and throw it on the altar with some of the internal organs, Chazal point out that that's, that creates one of the most foul smells of all, burning feathers. 
does not smell it. <laughs> Yet the Pasuk over there calls it a nachas, reach nichoach. So what is the great smell, the fragrance of burning bones and feathers? Some of the animal sacrifices that they brought didn't necessarily produce what we would consider to be a fragrant and pleasant aroma. Yet the Pasuk will always refer to it as a reach nichoach. That's why Rashi says, it's not reach nichoach in the physical sense, where the aroma is pleasant and sweet and fragrant, but rather it's a nachas ruach. When we talk about nachas, it's nachas ruach. And the word ruach, of course, is a fragrance. It's you just feel good about something. What is it that God gets nachas from? So Rashi says it in three words. She'omarti v'naser itzoni. Because I said it, and you did it. That's it. The nachas is based on the fact that I said something, and you did what I told you to do. That's the nachas ruach to Hashem. The essence of all mitzvahs, as we discussed last week, is the fulfillment of God's command as a decree and obligation, and not because you felt like doing it, but because God felt like you doing it. That's the essence of all mitzvahs. And in that sense, it puts all of the whole idea of animal sacrifices into the perspective of what's the difference if it affects your sensibilities or not. You're not doing it because you think it's the right thing to do. You're doing it because God wants you to do it. And that's the biggest nachas ruach. And in that sense, if a person does the animal sacrifices because God commands and we therefore comply. That's the biggest nachas ruach. Good morning. That's the biggest nachas ruach that God gets out of mitzvah performance. Furthermore, again in this week's parsha, which is really a continuation of last week's parsha. Last week's parsha began parsha's truma with the commands of how to erect the Mishkan and the different utensils involved and this week it continues with that as well as the laws of the garments of the coin and, and the coin Godel but towards the end of the Parsha it talks about the sacrifices that will be brought to initiate and to inaugurate the temple the, base, the Mishkan as well as the altar and you have on page 206, the first two lines from the bottom, the Pusik by Shishi that talks about the major avod that was done constantly in the, in the Mishkan, which is the Korban Tomit. The Korban Tomit, the daily sacrifice that was brought once in the morning, once in the evening, two, two lambs, and it corresponds to our davening, to our tefillah. Although we all know that the tefillahs that we have shachos, mincha, mairev, were um, initially from Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and, and correspond to them as well. But the primary obligation of davening twice, mairev was considered always an optional prayer. But the mandatory shachos and mincha corresponded to these two sacrifices the Tomit of the morning, the Tomit of the afternoon. It's a custom in many, if not most, synagogues 
in the morning by Shams, they read the parsha as part of the evening of the korbanos, right before Baruch Shama. There's that, you know, everybody flies through it, but korbanos. In, in certain congregations by Chassidim, they say a section of that again right before Mincha. Of course, the same way you do it for Shachos, before you dab in Shachos, you do it Mincha before you dab Mincha. And the Shmona Esrei is there as a, as a um, replacement based on the Pasuk in the Navi, when Shalma forms for Seinu, we shall pay Hashem with the bullocks of our lips. Those were the, well, a bullock actually, I don't know how to say Same thing as a bull, a male cow. We will pay God with the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices, if you will, of our lips. And that's how we say korbanos. Let me get that out. Hmm. That we that we pay God nowadays without real animal sacrifice, but with the offerings of our lips. And based on that principle, we recite korbanos in the morning. So the main avoda, and of course we refer to tefillah as avoda, as divine service. The main avoda was, of course, the korbanos that were in the temple or in the Mishkan. The main avoda that was daily brought in the temple were these two sheep. So the Pasuk begins, V'zeh asher And again, whenever the Pasuk says V'zeh and this, it always has that significance which we've seen many, many times. The word Zeh is something which God is, so to speak, pointing at. Which again becomes why the Medrash will, will refer to this Pasuk as we'll shortly see again. We'll review the Medrash that we did last week. And this is what you shall do. What is that? Year old lambs, two daily, constantly. You do one sheep in the morning, one lamb in the morning. And you do the second lamb in the late afternoon. Those are the two that you do. And again, it refers to this, This is considered to be a reach nicholach to Hashem. This sweet-smelling fragrance. Again, the odor of burning wool is not exactly a pleasant one. And I don't think that they burnt the wool. But in the case of birds, we pointed out, it wasn't exactly a pleasant fragrance when they burnt the feathers. But here again, we have the korban as being a reach nicholach, which Rashi said that's the principle earlier, shomarti v'naser Let's go back now to the medrash again. The medrash is on the side of the page that for most of you will probably say truma and tetzava on it. If it doesn't, then it's blank. But not the side that says Tetzavah on it. The side that says Truma Tetzavah on it. Or nothing. The Medrash Tanchuman Pashas Noso. Again, we'll go through this quickly because we did it last week in more detail. And I'm trying to present really a balance to what we talked about last week, but we'll first start off with this. 
When Hashem commanded Moshe to to erect a Mishkan, Omar Kodesh Baruch Hu Moshe, Moshe Harei Mikdosh Ibonu Lumaylo, the true Mikdosh is on high, it's in the heavenly regions, and our Mikdosh that's down here is merely a connector that corresponds to it. Well, it, it, it does seem to indicate something like that, as we'll see. Again, I don't want to get too much into the mystical aspects of it. But yes, to a certain degree, the Mishkan on high is dependent on the Mishkan down here. Of course, it's a little different, though, there, because it seems like it, it has an independent existence. Anyway, certainly the way the, the Medush is, is describing it here, it's talking about it as being an independent Mishkan, but then God nevertheless wants the one down here, as we'll see shortly. Shenemar kisei kavod mor merishon. The kisei kavod was there from at, from at, from at first, from beginning. Bishom heichal, as well as the sanctuary that's there, as it says, Hashem beheichal kodshoi. Bishom kisei kavod bonu shenemar Hashem b'shemayim heichal kisei. Pasuk again, Yishai yoishel kisei rom benisa. The shulav meleim as haheichal. So it refers to the the celestial. Heichel, sanctuary. Nevertheless, Hashem says, But because of my, my love towards you, and how precious you are to me, I'm willing to forego the Shrinas residing in the Beis on High, which was there from before creation, and I will come down to earth and dwell amongst you. Shenemar b'shochanti b'soich b'nei Yisrael, last week's parsha. Uksiv and it says furthermore, v'osul yimikdash b'shochanti b'soichom, I will dwell in their midst. Now, Omar Rabbi Yudah Bar Simon, this we saw again last week. B'shei, you need one? This is one of the three places where Moshe heard something which took him so aback that he was like, like stunned by it. When Hashem in next week's parasha says that Hashem says each person shall give, if you look in page 209, and each man shall give the the um, whatever you want to refer to the word kaifer usually means the replacement but also means the atonement as well he'll give a replacement for a soul to Hashem and Moshe Rabbeinu was taken aback by that and says could a person give his kaifer Person. And it quotes here a few psukim that indicate that it's impossible for a person to, so to speak, bribe God and pay him for his life. There's no way he could pay for your life or your soul. And Hashem responds a couple of lines further. I'm not asking according to what it's really worth, according to my powers, that you should pay up. I'm only asking for for according to your abilities, which is the following, Zayit, this shall you give. 
Omar Meir, not like on Sporch, commit Matbea Shalesh, Mitachas Kisei Akovot, Verol Olamosha. Hashem takes, so to speak, a fiery coin from beneath the throne of glory, shows it to Moshe, says, Omar Lelo, Kisei, will give it like this. Last week we read through this and I said that I don't want to go into it then. Hopefully we'll have time. We'll elaborate on it this week. The second place is what we have in this week's parsha. When Hashem says to Moshe, give me my korban, my bread, referring to the korban tomid, Omar Moshe, could we possibly give God enough animal sacrifices? It's impossible to give God according to what He deserves. Again, we went through this last week. I'm just reading it through quickly. Again, I'm not asking you according to what I need, according to my power, but according to your power and ability. And therefore it says, This is the sacrifice. Not, not two korbanas even in one time, this of course is a Pasuk in, in, in Parshas Pinchas, but it's very similar to the Pasuk which we just read earlier regarding the, um, the Korban Tomit. The third place is Bishosh Omar Lobosuli Mikdosh Omar Moshe. How can we make a Mishkon in a Shemaimishmeshmaimloyichalkalucha? as the Medrash itself introduced, that the very heavens cannot contain God's glory. Avki Abai Sazeh Ashebonisi Shlomo Melech says, how can my Beis HaMikdash do it? As it says, Halos HaShemayim Vesorat HaNimoleinu Hashem HaShemayim Kisi Vat HaDom Raglai V'onu Yichon Latsas HaMikdash How can I make a Mikdash for Hashem? Ormalei HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem responds the same way. Eini Mavakish Lufi Koichi Lufi Koichon It's not according to my power but it's according to your power and abilities, as it says, etc., etc. The part of where the Medrash derives this dialogue from is the word that we said earlier, Zeh. When the Medrash understands that whenever the Torah, as the Gemara understands, the Torah uses the word Zeh, it's as if God was pointing to something specific. So if you look on page 209, on the third Pasuk in the Parsha, four lines down, Pasuk of Gimel, right at the beginning of the Parsha, page 209 in Kisisa, it refers to the half shekel as Zei Nukolei This is what you shall give all those that are being counted. Machza shekel, the shekel HaKodesh, a half shekel. Again, the word Zei, indicates something that was part of the dialogue where God had to show Moshe this, this shall you give. Likewise, on page 206, regarding the Korbatom that we just, that introduces us to the Korbatom by Shishi, two lines for the bottom, this is what you shall bring on the Mizbeach, the two lambs, twice daily. In 
in the beginning of Parsha's Truma, last week's Parsha, we saw regarding the menorah, we saw regarding the menorah on page, we'll get back shortly to the one Parsha's Truma in a second. But it says on page 357, the beginning of Parshish Baalosach, the Zemaiseh HaMenorah. And this was the working of the menorah. This is the way it was made. Miksha Zob, Adirech, etc. Miksha He, Kamara, Sheher, Hashem, Moshe. Like the way God showed Moshe, Kainos HaSamenorah, that's the way he made the menorah. So again, the word Zeh is used. In Parshish Truma, when it refers to the menorah as being manufactured it refers to it as on page 192 the menorah shall be made it uses the word rather than it will be made again from all of these places we derive the principle that Moshe Rabbeinu and one more place which we'll just bring down because Chazal lump all these three together and that's in the beginning of of the first command that Hashem gave to Moshe in Eretz Mitzrayim regarding Kiddush HaChodesh it's in Parshas Bo and it says over there um, I'll just find the right place HaChodesh Hazer it's on page It refers to the laws of Rosh Chodesh to derive in um, and we derive a lot of the laws of the intercalation as well as how the calendar is set up from, from these few psukim there. As a result, Chazal say Moshe Rabbeinu had difficulty with the new moon he had difficulty with the machzis hashekel. He had difficulty with the menorah. Hashem had to show it to him. Ultimately, it says regarding the the moon, Hashem showed him the moon. Regarding the machzis hashekel, as we just saw in the medrash, he pulled out a fiery coin of a machzis hashekel from the kitzei Again, what exactly the difficulty was over there, we didn't go into yet. Shortly, hopefully, we will. And the third thing was the menorah. He had difficulty with the menorah. The menorah itself was manufactured, teoseh. He threw the gold into the fire, and the menorah came out by itself. But the word zeh teaches us this, this specifically. By finding it in the context of the, of the Korban Tomid, the Medrash teaches us that again, Moshe Rabbeinu was perplexed. How can we feed God Korbanus? And is there enough that we can do that will provide God with this reach nichoach? And Hashem says, I'm not asking according to what you think or according to all your abilities, but even limited to the sense of two daily. And last week we went through this whole idea about the fact that Hashem tells us mitzvahs with guidelines and parameters, and that if we find it, Kashetziba Hashem Moshe. That's the way a person advances himself and elevates himself. 
Again, let's take a look now, turn over the page, and we will reiterate this before we present the flip side of all this. If you look on the first piece there, it comes from the Sefer Zichon Meir. It goes back on the Rashi that we introduced, Reach Nichoach and Fona Shomarati Benasaritzoni. So he points out an interesting idea that once we see this Rashi, we could much more easily relate to the Avoda, even nowadays. We said earlier on the Shalom of Formas Fosenu that we offer Hashem the sacrifices of our lips. But again, nowadays we don't have animal sacrifices. So this whole section of the Torah is seemingly impossible to fulfill. But the truth is when one understands the essence of all avoda, we could take its underlying theme and apply it to everything we do in the Torah. Although we lack the Beis HaMikdash, we could still give this Nachas Ruach to God, the Kiyu Mitzvah when a Mitzvah is fulfilled completely, fully, punctiliously, with all of its minutia, Bishlemus. It's unlike the way many people fulfill Mitzvahs nowadays. Below Diktuk Basiyas without proper attention paid to the fulfillment of all of its details and all of its minutia. People just, it's a mitzvah, they do it, and it's, it's good, it's good, God will be happy with it just the way it is. Just, that's wrong. It's not an easy thing to fulfill God's will properly. As it brings down from the Mishnah Pirkei Office, Yehuda ben Teimar Havikal Kinesha, you have to be fleet as an eagle, Rotz Kitsvi, or light as an eagle, fleet like the like the uh, deer, Gibor Karim, powerful like a lion, Oz Kanomer, bold like a leopard, last son of Yichush Bashmaim in order to do God's will. Nimzul Fidibia Mishnah Shekadei Lachav and the Ritzoyin Eizborach. To fulfill God's will is not so easy. You have to have these characteristics. It's not easy to do God's will. Which we talked about last week. We mentioned when it talks about the erection of the Mishkan. It says on each detail. It was fulfilled according to God's command. 14 times throughout Parshas Pikudei it emphasizes and stresses over and over again it was done according to God's command. That they fulfilled God's will, not more, not less. Again, as per the Medrash we mentioned last week, God says 20 means, not 21, not 19. That's the fulfillment of God's will. This is what God wanted. This, this kind of... Uh, of an approach to mitzvahs is one which is difficult and especially good people that are well-meaning tend to mistakenly deviate from it. We mentioned it last week how there are very well-intentioned, good-meaning people that because of their 
zeal and enthusiasm for God's will or their overwhelming abundance of spirituality, they cross the boundaries. They go beyond what they're supposed to do. They introduce practices that they shouldn't introduce and that becomes something which, which is not only wrong but has to be mentioned and criticized. In fact, the prime example of this was Nadav and Aviv, as we mentioned earlier. Nadav and Aviv, in their exuberant zeal to come close to Hashem, entered the Kodesh Kodoshim with an Eish Zora, a strange fire. But the difference from Eish Zora to Avod Zora is a thin line. Avod Zora, which usually is translated to mean idol worship, literally doesn't mean idol worship, it means strange worship. It's Avoda Zora, strange worship, or foreign worship, or alien worship. So when Nodav Navi brought an Eish Zora, an alien fire, not commanded by God, that means that through their internal fires and passions to do the mitzvahs or to come close to Hashem, they crossed the boundary and they went from Eish, commanded by God, to Eish Zorah, an alien fire, and from there to Avodah Zorah is a thin line. If you want to bring into your, the temple, to the Kodesh Kedoshim, your own feelings of, of zeal and devotion, it might be a very small line between bringing into the temple or bringing into your sanctuary exuberant fire and real avodazara. As we made mention of last week, if you bring a gospel choir into a sanctuary, even though it's Martin Luther King's birthday, but that's a pretty thin line that you went from Azara to avodazara. You're bringing in a gospel choir that's going to sing hymns because it's the right thing to do because you consider Martin Luther King your mentor and teacher and so you're bringing in a gospel choir into a sanctuary. That's, that's where the line goes from Azara to Avodazar. And, and the penalty is very, very harsh and very severe on Avodazar and on Azar. We saw what happened to Nodav and Avil. So, we talked about how a person has to sometimes control himself and limit himself. And in proportion to the person's desire is where the danger is. So those people that are very well-intentioned and very well-meaning with good hearts are the ones in most danger of going this extra line and going beyond the line. And a prime example of this is, of course, Shaul HaMelech. This was an area where great people and many people and especially good people are in danger of crossing the line. He named Shaul HaMelech, the first king of the Jews. He was not a small person. He was head and shoulders above the rest of the people. That's why he was brought, that's why he was made into the king. And he was a humble person as well. And he was a very well-intentioned, well-meaning person. He was a great person and a great tzaddik. As the Gemara in Yuma Davchav Beis teaches us, He was like a newborn baby, a year old in terms of sin. He was without blemish, without sin. Nevertheless, when he was given his command as king, again, this wasn't just a personal command. 
This is a command that's representative of the Jewish people. You have a mission, you have to wipe out Amalek. As we'll be reading this week's parasha, parasha Zohar, in the Haftarah, when it came to the war with Amalek, he didn't fulfill properly the complete fulfillment of the command. God commanded me to anoint you as king al Amo al Yisrael. And now, in other words, he's giving him the mission as king. I anointed you as king, and this is the first mission as a king. And listen to the sound of the words of God. I should point out that the Vilna Goyen always says that the word kol, as opposed to dibur, is always used to refer to as something unintelligible. When we talk about dibur, or dovar, or dvarim, it's intelligible language. When we say kol, sound, it means it's unintelligible, just a sound. Lishmoa kol shofar. To hear the sound of the shofar. It's just a cry. It's not intelligible in terms of language. When Hashem says to Avram, listen to Sarah, Shema B'Koyla, listen to her sound. It doesn't make sense to you. It's unintelligible to you. Why you should throw out your son? She's right. Do it anyway. Listen to her call, to her sound, to her voice. It's translated there as voice. But it's unintelligible. Shmuel is, in a sense, introducing this command by saying, listen to koil divrei Hashem. To the koil divrei Hashem. Not just the word of God as in being intelligible, but to the unintelligible elements in the word of God as well. The koil divrei Hashem. Shmuel says that to Shaul. No, no, the, the, the word koil. The word koil meaning unintelligible sounds of the Vilna now, Go smite Amalek, and utterly destroy them. All that is his. Have no mercy. kill. May ish ad isha, man to women, may children, sucklings, mishor atzeh. From ox to sheep, from camel to donkey. This was a very tough command. Go utterly wipe them out and blot them out, even to the point of destroying their animals. This was the command Shmuel gave to Shoal as per Hashem told him. Shoal hears this, yet he doesn't fulfill this posse completely. He does it almost. He does it. 99% but not 100 as he continues and when Shaul comes back Shaul feels I did it if you take a look when he comes back I mean let's take a look at some of the Pesukim here Pasik Pasik Tess and they had mercy Shaul and the people Al Agog as well as the best of the cattle. And they didn't want to destroy them. They didn't want to be machered them, as the Pesach said earlier. Now, later on, when 
when Shaul meets Shmuel and he comes back, so Shmuel says, Shaul comes back and he says, Vayovo Shmuel Shaul, Shmuel comes to Shaul. Vayomulo Shaul and Shaul says, Borchatol Hashem, thanks, praise be to God. Hakimoisi as the Bar Hashem, I fulfilled the word of God. It's interesting, I just noticed it now. Shaul was told by Shmuel, Shema l'koil divrei Hashem. To the koil divrei Hashem. And Shaul comes back, Hakimoisi as Devar Hashem. He doesn't come back saying, Hakimoisi as koil divrei Hashem. Hakimoisi as Devar Hashem. I don't know if he meant this, but in effect what he's saying, I did the parts that made sense. I did all that made sense and was intelligible to me. And Shmuel says, Ma koil hatsan. What's the bleeding that I hear? Koil habokar. I'm hearing the sound of bleeding and, and, and animal noises. Says Shaul, I came from the Amalek, Masher Choma Ho'on. They had mercy on Meitab Tzon. Why? In order to offer to Hashem as sacrifice, and the rest is what we destroyed. Shmuel says to Shaul, Heref, listen for a moment, what God told me last night. He says like this. Firstly, Shmuel says to Shaul, it's beneath your dignity. You don't view yourself as a king by listening to the people. Maybe in your own eyes you're humble and small. But remember, you're the king, you're the head of Israel. You are anointed to be king. And Hashem sent you on a mission and said to you, to utterly destroy, as it says, to oblivion. And look what he says in Pasuk Yotes. The Lomoloi Shamato the Koil Hashem. I don't know if you get I'm just noticing it now. I don't know if the Vilna guy says it over here. But says Shaul to Shaul to Shaul. So why do you hear the Koil Hashem? Here he the word Var Hashem. He starts off by saying about Toshma, Lukoil Divrei Hashem. To the sound of the word of God. And Shmuel, Shaul comes back saying, I did. Hakimoisi is the Var Hashem. But now he's saying, the koil Hashem. Why did you do the sound of Hashem? What you did was wrong. But I did it. I just took back that which I thought was going to be for Korbanus. I took back Reish Sacherim in order to sacrifice to Hashem. So Shmuel says in Pasach of Beit, Does God want sacrifice Uzbachim Kishmoya B'Koyal Hashem all God really wants is to listen to the Koyal Hashem to the sound of God in other words even if it's not intelligible Hine Shemoya Mizevach Toiv to listen to listen to God is greater than sacrifice Lahakshiv to give ear Mechel Velem is greater than than the fat of the rams when Shaul hears this he, he realizes it. You're right. I did violate Hashem, and the reason is because I listened to the people. I wasn't strong enough. And that becomes the end. End of the story, basically. So therefore, we see that Shoah Melech and the people, in their enthusiasm to bring sacrifices to Hashem, deviated. 
and they violated the word of God. Shmuel comes back, and Shaul, rather Shaul comes back and he says, Hakim Oisi. Shaul talking things that were As to why he left some of the animals, he did it L'Shem Shemayim. He left all the animals L'Shem Shemayim. Ah, next paragraph. With all of that, his good intentions and his well-meaningness didn't help. Shmuel comes back very strong. You left over the plunder you did. Does God want this is called despising the word of God and therefore God despises you for being a king. Shaul oversteps the bounds and Shmuel refers to it as Loishamato, you didn't do the mitzvah. You reviled the word of God. It's a pella. Shaul did everything that he did well meaning. He was well-intentioned, he was well-meaning, he did it L'Shem Shemayim. According to his understanding, He thought that bringing it as sacrifice to Hashem is greater than just destroying it. Why should he just kill out the animals? He might as well bring it as, as offerings to Hashem. According to his understanding, Lufi Daito between this Gobi Molek, using Agog, the king of Amalek, as the symbol of the capture of Amalek, there was great symbolism involved in that. And the symbol overrode the minutia of the command. God didn't want that. He can't add to God and to the mitzvah based on your understanding of what you think is right. You cross the boundaries, you go very easily from enthusiasm to Eish Zara to Avod Zara. The, 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 most, the most horrible of sins. And Shaul himself understood finally Chotasi that he sinned. In other words, well-meaningness and well-intentionedness and sincerity is not only not enough, but it sometimes becomes the stumbling block by which people cross the boundaries into Aesar and to Avodazar. And if you're well-meaning and well-intentioned, but you bring nuns into a sanctuary to lecture the people, even though you're well-meaning and it's part of Holocaust remembrance, or if you bring gospel choirs in order to show freedom and tolerance into a sanctuary you've crossed the boundary and Shaul Amalek was told by Shmuel what do you think you're a small humble person well meaning and well intentioned don't you realize what you are you're the king of Israel you're their spokesperson you're their leader and you have to act like a leader and when you cross these boundaries and you do this deviation that's called reviling and disgusting the word of God if you're a well-meaning person and you're not a leader you're just a regular guy and you make mistakes because of your well-intentionedness we could say okay we'll chalk up sincerity and, and a little bit too much enthusiasm but if you're a leader 
a religious leader, a religious spokesperson representing God and Torah to the people, and a religious teacher, and you're there as a rabbi or as a king, you have to act the part. And if you cross the lines, Shmuel says, that's it, you've lost it. You've, because you can't be a leader. If you would have been a regular person that did this, you wouldn't be punished. Everybody else that made the same mistake, Shaul listened to them. They weren't punished. But take a look at how severely Shaul was punished. He was given not even a second chance. He was removed. He was defrocked, if you will. One crossing the boundary like this, and you're defrocked as a clergy person. You're no longer a spokesperson. You're no longer a chief, a leader, a king, or a rabbi, because you you really crossed the boundary of what the leader is supposed to do. Why is the uh, focus on the saving of the sheep? Because God commanded that as well. And our God, it doesn't mention. It mentions. It does mention both. Where? over here. He left him alive. But I guess the word chemla was. It says by Yahweh on, on both. That's why it says in the Pasik, Tomim Tiem Hashem Alokecha. Be wholehearted and perfect with Hashem. Perish Beliyishak Musiseira. And part of this means following the, the tradition of the sages even where it doesn't seem to make sense. That's what the Sifri says. Even in areas where you don't expect and doesn't make sense. You have to follow with even that which doesn't make so much sense. If you look at the story of Purim, one of the major lessons and themes of Purim was this. When Mordechai told them that they shouldn't partake in the feast of Achashverosh, originally that was the original sin. The Gemara tells us that the sin was that they partook in the feast of Achashverosh. I don't want to go into now the details as to maybe why they shouldn't have. There are very good logical reasons why they shouldn't have either. But there were a great deal of political reasons why they should have partaken. What do you mean? We're in Golas, we have to get along with the nations, we have to get along with the king, it's going to create anti-Semitism, you're showing the division between us, we have to partake, we have to be part of them, we have to uh, have what they call nowadays um, dialogue, but interdenominational or inter- interreligious dialogue. I mean, we have to partake with them. Called pluralism. We have to partake and dialogue with them, interreligious dialogue. And and the Sanhedrin and Mordechai told them not to. And the Gemara says that when they partook with the feast, that's when Hashem sealed their faith to give them over to Haman. They didn't listen. They didn't listen to the sages. They had good political reasons not to. Politically, it didn't make much sense. I mean, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? We talk about diplomatic relations, international relations, all of these calculations. Even, even Esther had to do something above and beyond what was considered politically reasonable. If you look in the next paragraph, on top of the page, Esther, though, who was a descendant of Shaul, finally was misaking, rectified the sin of Shaul. Because Mordechai told her not to. This is illogical. 
She's queen. The wife of Chazal tell us that he couldn't really communicate with her without knowing where she's from. In any case, whatever the case may be, what she did was not politically wise. The it says, She did as commanded by Mordechai. She didn't look for ways out of it. By her listening and following, even where it didn't make much sense, that's where the salvation came from. That rectified the sins of the Jews, but more importantly in this sense, it was brought back full circle the sin of Shaul that she now rectified. Shaul didn't listen to the, to the prophet Shmuel and deviated because of his own logic comes Esther and follows fully even when it's, when it's politically unwise. This is basically a reiteration of a lot of the theme that we spoke about last week, although we developed it further last week. What we see from here is how fundamentally important it is not to deviate from the Word of God and inject what you consider to be the right way to do it with your own spirituality. However, it should not snuff out a person's own feelings and zeal and devotion and dedication and enthusiasm. That's not meant to make the letter of the law supreme to the point of where you lose any element of spirit. If that happens, that's also no good. We started off by saying, I told you over the story of uh, this person that was by both storm, by the Tzivs Seder, as well as by the Beis HaLevi's Seder. And both were two approaches to the multitude of mitzvahs on the one hand, to fulfill it with all of its minutia. On the other hand, to feel good about what you just did. And both approaches are true. And you need both. And as I said before, there's a Litvish, a brisker approach and a Hasidic approach. And each one by itself leads to excesses and extremes that are not, that are not necessarily the right way. Compliance with minutia is good, but so much so where it overrides everything and it completely obliterates any feelings of a person's own exuberance and enthusiasm is no good. On the other hand, the Hasidic approach of whereby everything is good and everything is wonderful and everything is spiritual leads to a, to a kind of a, of a disobedience or, or occasionally at least a, a um, not proper observance of the mitzvahs. That's why they tend to sometimes die too late, etc. There, there is this um, element of non-compliance with the letter of the law that results from people that focus too much on the spirit of the law. Both things have to be complemented. If you take a look back to the other side of the page, let's take a look at, at a few of the points that we have over here. The menorah was considered to be made by itself if you look at the piece from the Sfas Emes underneath it, Hashem said, Moshe had difficulty in making the menorah. Hashem says, just throw it in the fire. 
and out will come, out will come a menorah. What's the point then of throwing him into the fire? If if the menorah anyway was made by itself, the shemai for hera lo akas why do you have to show him all the details? Hashem anyway was going to have to make the menorah. If a person does the mitzvahs as best as he could, even the portion that he's incapable of doing, it'll be done. It'll be done by itself. As we said in Tadchum, Hashem is saying, don't exert yourself according to You just do your part and the rest will be done. Just throw it into the fire. Study the laws. Do it with the greatest diligence that you can. Horror as much as you can. Throw it into the fire. It'll get done by itself. This is true for each and every Jew regarding every mitzvah. You can't fulfill every single mitzvah fully and 100%. It's not even expected. You do according to your abilities, but you follow the words of God 100% as best as you can. If a person exerts himself in order to do the mitzvahs according to the best of his abilities, he'll have heavenly help. If a person attempts to do what's right, it'll get done. Be confident that Hashem will allow you to reach fruition. That's all He expects from you. Especially the menorah, which represents the wisdom of the Torah, a Torah study that requires horavanya, you're not going to be able to get it all done by yourself. But you have to exert yourself. And when you exert yourself to your fullest capabilities, you'll get it. That's why the, this week's parasha, which continues with the menorah, talks about the oil and how the oil has to be processed and pressed and quenched. Olive oil represents the wisdom of Torah, but it has to be quenched and it has to be horrored on in order that it should come. And therefore, precisely in the workings of the menorah, do we find the idea of its, its difficulty and its, and its impossibility to master Yet, Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't, wasn't freed from trying for it. He had to try, he had to exert himself, but rather than giving up, he did whatever he could, and God said, miraculously, the menorah will be created. Menorah represents the wisdom of Torah. It requires horvanya and kvetchen. The Chofetz Chaim, in a very beautiful piece, says, in a similar sense, if you look on the top left, V'hoya im shol yishalenu, if a person will ask, what could we, descendants of great people, do nowadays to bring Mashiach? What could we rectify? What could we fix? We're so broken. How could we prepare? How could we even 
prepare the way and bring Mashiach. Who are we? We're so less than our ancestors. Vo'an vo'emar and me answer you the following. Shein Hakadosh Baruch Hu writes me men who gedolos with varm shiach shalom lasigom as the Medrash said. God doesn't demand from us according to our inabilities, according to God's power. We don't have to achieve results. Each person different. Each person according to his abilities. We say in Davni, the sound of God comes with power. Says the Yalkut Shemayni on that. What does it mean? The Koyach. Not the Koyach of God that breaks the world and is and is awesome and and uh, impossible to even absorb. But when the Jews heard the sound of God in Har Sinai, each person heard it differently. They didn't hear it according to the power and majesty of God Himself. That's impossible. That's too awesome. That's too that's too in, in, impossible to absorb. Each person heard it differently. The sound of God that emanated at Har Sinai came to each person according to his ability to absorb, absorb the sound of God's word. Similarly, God demands from us just that. If all you're capable of is learning Mishnahis, learn Mishnahis. Every single day, that you give up everything else and you force yourself to learn the Mishnah. The and learn your daily quote of Mishnah. No one's saying learn Dafyomi. No one's saying learn become a great Talmud Chacham. Learn your quote of what your ability is. Learn Mishnah. If you find that you're able to understand and learn Ein Yaakov, which is something which Baal Bakken learned, or Medrashim, Kai Gavna says the Chofetz Chaim, do that. Yilmed Mashiach, be to learn what you're capable of learning. Learn Mishnah, learn Gemara, learn Halacha, learn Ein Yaakov, learn Musr, learn Medrashim, whatever you can. If you could learn Gemara and Halacha, that's what your capabilities are. I mean, you can't sell yourself short either. You can't say, all I can do is learn a Yaakov. You can learn some Gemara. Learn Gemara. Whatever you're capable of doing, don't take the easy way out. But no one's expecting the impossible either. Each person has to honestly assess where his abilities are and reach to the nth degree of those abilities and say, I'm going to do that. And put aside time, force yourself to learn Mishnah and Yaakov, Gemara, Medrash, whatever it is. God doesn't expect the impossible. Each and every individual according to his capabilities. That's how you prepare for Mashiach according to your abilities. He quotes the Medrash when Hashem said to Moshe, "Also, in Midgash, in Zdazei Moshe, Moshe Benu, or Shaken, Eich Yochodim Lasos Be'Abayis Lishmosh Lakadosh Baruch Hu." How can God make? How can man make a home for God? Doesn't it say that Hashem resides in the celestial regions beyond us. 
It's not according to my Kayak, but according to yours. Came gave Moshe and told him to, to offer Kesev for the Mishkan. You own all the gold and silver. What are we going to offer up to you in gold and silver? When Hashem says to Moshe, give an offering, and Moshe Rabbeinu says an offering of gold and silver, you own all the gold and silver. How can we give you any gold and silver? And what does Hashem say? This. And he pulls out that fiery coin. Machs a shekel. That's all you got to do, a small coin. A person has to do whatever he can. Do according to your kayak, as the Pasuk in Kayala says. I came, therefore, I said, my brothers, my friends, prepare ourselves of each according to our abilities. Each person Do what it is, what you can to do a complete shul of Hashem. In order that we should see the glory of Hashem revealed in the world. That's what the Chofetz Chaim says. Beautiful message. But now let's talk about this coin. So Moshe Rabbeinu, we can understand now finally what Moshe Rabbeinu was so shaken about. Gold, silver, let's pay our souls for our redemption of our souls for our exchange for atonement what? how can we? it's impossible there's nothing we can offer Hashem from our possessions and Hashem says Zayin and he pulls out a fiery coin he pulls out a fiery coin now we understand one aspect of it already that he was trying to explain to Moshe Rabbeinu that's it just do what I tell you just do what I tell you. It's a half shekel. That's what I'm asking for. Do it. Don't deviate. And that will do the job. But what is this idea of a fiery coin that he showed him? It says the Chassam Seifer, very beautiful shot. Turn back the page now to the other side. The Pasuk begins, in last week's parasha, the parasha begins, truma. They shall take for me truma. Tzorach tam. Why does the parsha begin when Hashem says the mitzvah for people to donate? He refers to it as Let him take for me, or let him take unto me truma, an offering. More accurately, he should have said Let him give to me truma. Let him donate. A donation is called giving, not taking. The word v'yikhu means take. So we translate the word v'yikhu li as take for me or take unto me. But why the word take? What do you mean take unto me or take for me? Give to me. Give for me. V'yitnu. Yite, to give, not yikach, to take. It's a kasha that all the Mephorshim deal with. Some Seifer says a beautiful pshat. Why not The nearest he says the following beautiful pshat. According to a medrash that says regarding Homon. In, in, when we learn the Megillah, 
we're going to read about how Haman offered Achashverosh 10 talents, whatever that is, huge quantity of silver in order to buy out the Jews to earmark them for destruction. In other words, he's going to put into the into the treasury of the state, into the treasury of the empire, a large fortune of silver in order to have the right to do with the Jews as he pleases. And Achashverosh says, go ahead. He's buying the Jews. Purchasing the Jews. Omar HaKadosh Baruch the Medrash says, God said the following, Russia, you wicked person, you want to buy that which is mine with that which is mine you don't own the Jews the Jews are mine you don't own gold and silver gold and silver are mine you expect to buy the Jews with gold and silver you think you're going to pay your silver to buy Jews the Jews don't belong to Achashverosh the Jews belong to me and the silver that you're using also belongs to me Shenemar Liyah Kesef and it says, Kili B'nei Yisrael Avodim. Regarding silver, the Pesach says, Liyah Kesef To mine is the gold and silver, says the Lord. And it says regarding the Jews, Kili B'nei Yisrael Avodim. The Jews are my slaves. They're my servants. Explains the Chassam Seifer the, the underlying message of this message in the following way. HaKavon There's a Gemara in Brachas, which we learned, in that region that a person before he's allowed to eat has to make a bracha and the Gemara there says the Gemara says that if you don't make a bracha then the Pasuk that says means that everything in the world belongs to God you have no right to it the bracha is what gives you the right after the bracha of Oretz the son of Neodam, the Gemara over there contrasts two pesukim. One pasuk says Lashem Oretz Umelah that the entire world, the entire universe, the earth with all of its abundance belongs to God. Yet there's another pasuk that says Oretz the son of Neodam that God gave man the earth. The rest of the universe is maybe His. We can't reach it, but certainly what, what's reachable to us belongs to us. So one Pasik says, one Pasik says, or it's no son of Neodam. God gave man the earth. But the other Pasik says, no, Lashem Aratzunlo, it belongs to God. So the Gemara resolves the Tupsukim by saying, before you make a bracha, you have no right to it, Lashem Aratzunloa. After you made a bracha, Oretz no son of Neodam, that's what God gives it to you. If you don't serve God with the wealth and affluence and the prosperity that God gave, if you don't serve Him, it's not yours. It doesn't belong to you because God didn't give it to you that you should have it selfishly. It's only through Avodah, which is the purpose of all of your wealth, that's when it belongs to him. Until you serve Hashem, it's not yours. When you serve Hashem with it, it instantly becomes yours. The apple that grows on a tree belongs to God. It's instantly transformed to belong to you with the brach. Therefore, Hashem is saying with wealth, it's my wealth. If you serve me with it, it then becomes your wealth. 
Therefore, when it comes to Haman, who wants to buy the Jews with his wealth, Hashem says, Rosha, after Kainish Shali you want to buy that which is mine, Libene Yisrael, with that which is mine, Shinem Aliyah Kesef. Therefore, it says in the Pasuk, the Yikhuli Chuma, take for me Chuma, meaning, Therefore, what the Chassam Soifer in effect is saying is that the gold and silver are mine, the Yikhuli, it's mine, but it's instantly transformed into yours by you giving it to me. The very act of giving tzedakah paradoxically makes it yours, makes it yours forever, eternally, in Shemaim at least. The Pasik says, Tainlo Mishalo, Shatov Shalho Shalo. It comes out, therefore, that the actual possession that you give to God is not really yours initially. The part that's yours is your willingness to give. That in actuality, when you gave wealth to Hashem, you didn't give God anything that's not His. The only thing that you gave God that wasn't His was the joy and the zeal that you gave when you intended to give Hashem. It was the simcha, the joy by which you gave it. That's why the Apostlet says, We don't find that anywhere else in the Torah where the Torah says, Do a mitzvah with good nature, generosity, with good heartedness. We don't find that anywhere else mentioned in the Torah. Yet, here by the donations to the Mishkan, it says, take for me from each person that gives generously with a glad heart. Why is it mentioned over here? It says the Chassam Seifer because the actual wealth a person has to realize is the Yichuli Chuma belongs to God initially. The only thing that you're giving God that God can't own is your free will and your good naturedness in doing it. It's may It's only the yidvenolibo, the generosity of the person's heart, which is what you're injecting in what you're doing that's actually yours. Your good intentions, it's your good intentions that count. We said earlier, I want to present the other side of the coin, that it's not only following the law, which is subjugation of a person's will, but good intentions do count. In fact, the only thing that you're really giving God in everything is your free will and your decision to do the right thing and your good intentions. Therefore, he now explains the idea of the fiery coin. Moshe had difficulty with this half shekel. Hashem shows him a fiery coin. So explain the Chassam Seifer slightly differently than the way we explained it earlier. It wasn't merely that Moshe Rabbeinu himself was questioning what is it that we could possibly give God that we could thereby um, that we could thereby achieve atonement for our soul. What could we give God? But it was more than that. The Part of what Moshe Rabbeinu was questioning was why is it, God, that you're limiting everyone to this small coin? There are poor people that to them it's a great donation. But there are wealthy people 
that to them it's an insignificant donation. So why have everybody uniform? A coin is uniform. Why are you having everyone give the same uniform gift? Why are you holding back from those that want to give more? Let them give more. Those that want to give more, let them give more. Why are you holding back their opportunity to give as much as they can? Because the Pesach says clearly, the wealthy person shouldn't give more. And the poor person shouldn't give less. Everyone should give the same amount. Why? Hashem teaches in the following lesson. Hashem shows in this small coin made of fire. Give this. Give this. What is that? You are giving something. What you're giving is the fire. The coin is mine. The silver is mine. The raw material, Hashem, arts and law belongs to me. But you're giving something. You're giving the fire in the coin. The fiery coin is what you're giving. The Nedivus, the Kabbalah, the Sinucha, the Avas Hashem. The Avas Hashem, Hashem, Tukat, the Kirbo, that fire that's burning in you. As long as you limit yourself. And you don't make an Ezorah, subjugate yourself. Limit yourself to the coin. But give it with fire. Give it with passion. Zeu ikran sin. That's what you're honestly giving. In Kena writes Eloi says the person who wants to give more can give more with fire. That's how you give more. Ula harbus, you can give as much as you want. And if you do that, mount you you gave. In Kena Bams in all are not created equal. Let's analyze a couple of aspects of the Chassam Soifer's message. Firstly, we can now put together what we said last week as well as this week. Yes, Hashem limits us and tells us to do mitzvahs a certain way and don't go beyond the boundaries. Don't inject spirituality to the point of where you deviate from the Word of God. Even where it requires reining yourself in and limiting yourself, don't over-enthusiastically um, just you know, have those feelings of spirituality overwhelm what you're supposed to do. You have to follow the guidelines, the parameters that are set by Hashem. The Mishkan was not commanded by God to be this awesome, huge tabernacle like the base of Mignish of Shlomo. Hashem says 20 beams here, 20 beams there, 8 beams here. That's it. Not more, not less. Kashetzibu Hashem is Moshe. Limit yourself. Moshe Rabbeinu was amazed about the coins. And Hashem says, no, kizayi, a half shekel, not more, not less. So therefore, there's nothing wrong with zeal and enthusiasm. But there are going to be times that you're going to have to limit yourself. The word of God to Shlomo, to Shola Melech, who was a very merciful person by nature, was do an act of cruelty. I don't want to. I have no choice. I have to do it. God commanded me, I do it. Subjugation to the divine will is the essence that underlies all mitzvahs. A mitzvah is a command, a mitzvah is a decree, a mitzvah is an obligation, a mitzvah limits you. It's a command of Hashem. The essence of all mitzvahs is shomarati v'nasar That's the underlying theme in all mitzvahs, which is in this week's parsha in Rashi, as we quoted in the very beginning. That Rashi. Sho'amarti v'nasar That's the nachas ruach. That's the true reach nichalach. 
the true reich to Hashem, the sweet smell, the sweet fragrance, is not the burning feathers and it's not the burning steak. That's not the nachas ruach, the reich the sweet smell to Hashem. It's the nachas ruach that comes from shomarti benasser itself, and that's the underlying theme behind every single mitzvah. And therefore, there's no base on mikdash today. But we could still do the shomarti benasser itself. We don't need a base on mikdash. With every mitzvah, shomarti benasser itself, you could fulfill it. And if you do that, you've done the essence of every single mitzvah. And sometimes it requires reining ones in. And Shema B'Koyla, you have to listen to the coil. Sometimes it's unintelligible. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it's not what you'd like to do. But if you do it nevertheless, and you subjugate yourself to the will of Hashem, and you limit yourself to His will, that's fulfillment of all mitzvahs. And if you overdo it, and if you give more than the half shekel, God says a half shekel, not more, not less. It's a coin. And Moshe Ben was taken aback by that. But that's the way the mitzvahs were given. If you overdo it, you could step over the boundaries and like Nadav Naviyu, well-meaning and well-intentioned, and like Shaul HaMelech, well-meaning and well-intentioned, you violate and you deviate from Hashem, and if you're a Shaul HaMelech, you're going to lose your kingdom, and if you're a Nadav Naviyu and you go into the inner sanctuary with an ace Zorah, you cross the lines, you cross the lines into Avodah Zorah, and it's total devastation as a result. That's one aspect of it. On the other hand, a person has to give of himself. Giving of yourself means limitation, subjugating yourself to the divine will as a mitzvah, as a command. But each person is different. The amount of enthusiasm that you give and the amount of devotion that you do and your well-intentionedness and your l'shem shemai differs from one person to the other. That's what makes one person greater than the other. All Jews give the machs a shekel. All Jews are obligated in the mitzvahs. But if you give as well-intentioned as you want, as you can do, that's where you're going to become greater. And in that sense, says the Chassam Sofer, Hashem answered Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was also asking, why are you limiting us to the coin? Why can't each person give more? And Hashem was answering, there's a message in that. The message in that is don't think that by giving more gold and silver, you're actually giving more gold and silver. The parasha begins to be yikhuli chuma. It's mine. It's leash. You want to be buy mine, which is mine. It's, it's not yours to begin with. Homana Russia can't buy the Jews with gold and silver. And don't think you're going to bribe God and you could create a mishkan with, with gold and silver. The yikhuli chuma, it's mine. And to and to drive home this point, Hashem limits it to a half shekel. As if to say, it's all meaningless anyway in terms of the gold and silver. The fact that one person gives a lot or a little, it's all the same. There's no difference. It's all mine anyway. So what's the difference if you give a lot of mine to me or if you give a little of mine to me? It's mine. It belongs to God. So you're going to give me more. You're going to give me less. What's the difference? You're going to give me does God want a multitude of cows and bulls and sheep? It's all God's anyway. So by teaching us the lesson that everybody gives a half shekel, Hashem is saying, it doesn't matter how much you give because it's all mine anyway. What matters is how you give it. Once you learn the fact that you're giving mine that is mine which is mine to begin with, 
and you're not giving me anything anyway, so there's no difference in the amounts and the quantity. But the qualitative giving of it is different. Each person is going to be different. So Hashem pulls out from the throne a fiery coin. This is what you give, not what you take. The equally true, this is mine, you're giving me, the gold, silver is mine that you're giving me. What, you are, what you're actually giving me is the fire in the coin. The fire in the coin doesn't belong to God. Give like this, give me a fiery coin. As the Chafetz Chaim says, do your most of your abilities. No one's asking for the impossible. But if you're capable of doing something, if you're capable of learning Torah to a greater degree or a lesser degree, whatever it is, give me the fire, give me the zeal, give me the devotion. Be well-intentioned. Be a, a good-hearted person. This is where it's crucial to be good-hearted. Once you understand the parameters of the coin, like a coin is a mint, matbeah. a matbeah is a coin that's minted, that's the same, every mint is the same. That's why all brachas, by the way, have to be the same. The brachas are always referred to as matbeah shetobu chachomim, the coin minted by the sages. You can't make your own brachas. There are people that they are going to create their own liturgy and their own brachas. No. That's the Madbeah Shal That's a coin that's minted. That's the same. We don't touch that. If you touch that, if you're touching the letter of the law and you're deviating from the coin that Chazal and Hashem tells us, that's a deviation which is unacceptable and well-intentioned. This will not help over there. But if you take the coin that they minted to us and you inject in them meaning and kavana and zeal and enthusiasm and devotion, that's fine. That's acceptable. That's where each person will differ. That's where one person who has a good heart and good intentions will be better than the other person. And that's where a good-hearted individual comes in. And we talked about it last time, about people with great hearts and that are good and wonderful people. Yes, being wonderful then counts for a great deal. Because the person that's doing this by rote or he's not, he's not doing it well. But the person that's really doing it and that's presenting it with zeal and enthusiasm and inspires people and works to the best instincts of people and tries to elevate them, that's a wonderful thing. But you start off with a coin that's minted. Only this, not more, not less. But fire, how hot is fire? When Hashem took out the fiery coin, how hot was it? How fiery was it? Who knows? Fire is almost infinite. You know, coldness is finite. You can reach absolute zero. But heat, you can generate more and more heat, more and more fire. There's different levels of fire. That you're giving. The coin is the same quantitatively. But the fire in the heart, each person is different. And being a good-hearted person does help. And as the Sfas Emes teaches us, the menorah was made by throwing it in, doing as much as your abilities, and out came from the fire of menorah, the Chochmah of Torah. Likewise, as the Chofetz Chaim said, we're not expected to do more than we can, but do what you can. And part of that is to be well-intentioned. Spirit of the law and letter of the law are both crucial. Letter of the law is somewhat limiting and is a little bit of a damper. And spirit of the law tends to make a person, you know, surge into all kinds of devotional things. Spirituality. You need both religion and spirituality. Religion sometimes limits and gives guidelines that you can't violate. Spirituality, as is understood nowadays, is the enthusiasm and the individualism of a person. 
We're not against spirituality. We're against exclusively spirituality. We're not against religion. It shouldn't be exclusive. Both Hasidic and Litvish approaches, if you will, complement one another. They are two sides of the same coin. They complement one another because that's how a person becomes the, 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 the servant of Hashem and the person that has greatest closeness to Hashem, the Vegas. It comes about from a combination of both spirit of the law and letter of the law, but not either in, uh, exclusively. Those that do letter of the law and they've lost the sense of spirit of the law are like dead corpses walking doing mitzvahs. They lack the life. But those that only base themselves on spirit of the law, the Torah's message is this, and the Torah means that, and this is the spirit of the law, the Torah teaches us this, they're also deviating and going into the area of Asara, an alien fire. It's fire, but it's an alien fire, which is not good. And that could lead to the worst destruction and to the worst consequences. I just want to do in a few minutes two more little points, or one point that, that relates to what we did about the crew. It's based on one is from Rabbi Saul Salanter and the other is from Shmuel Zofsky and it ties into this theme. It says that Hashem speaks to us from the two Krubim. Again, we learned in the Medrash Rabbah last week that Hashem says, where does the glory of Hashem descend? It suffuses and permeates everything, but Hashem is going to limit Himself to emanate from the two Krubim from those two crew. We went through this in greater detail last week. However, there's another message in the crew. The fact that the crew were shaped in the image of children. Crew, they had faces of children, Chazal tell us. The Gemara says in Chagiga that a crew is a yunuka. It's a child. It brings down the Balaturim. The reason is the Pasik says that God says the Jewish people to me are like children like a small child that I love people love children as the Pasik says Haben Yaker Li Ephraim we daven in Musaf on Shimon Esrei Haben Yaker Li Ephraim in Yelet Shashuim Midei Dabribo Zochres Kareno Hashem says that Israel is to me like a beloved child, like a precious, playful child that everybody loves. And every time you think about, ah, how cute, how precious, how beloved, people love children. That's the crew. And therefore, Klal Yisrael is compared to the crew. It's compared to this childlike, childlike individual who is so cute and so precious and dear and loving the way people love little children. Why? What does it mean, Kinar Yisrael Vo'avo? Explains, let's take a look at the bottom piece from Rabbi Yisrael Slanter first and then the piece above it. Davki Yisrael Kizah. Well, the message is that everyone has to view himself like a child. You're now a yelling, meaning you're a work in progress. We said before from the Chafetz Chaim, you do according to your abilities. We said before from the Sfas Emes, just do a little bit, don't worry, the rest will be done. It means that you have to think of yourself as always being youthful. You have to think of yourself as always being young. The first mitzvah given to the Jewish people in Egypt was HaChoydesh HaZelochem. This is the first month. But the word Choydesh means Chidush, renewal. Like the moon, Klai souls compared to the moon that constantly renews itself. You're young, you're fresh, you're vibrant, you're youthful. And that's the secret of eternity. 
The reason why the Jews are an eternal people is because of their eternal youthfulness. God loves us because we're young and we act young. You're young, you're new, you could refresh yourself, you could renew yourself like the moon that constantly renews itself.